Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is the Tuesday edition, and I'm glad you're able to join us today. I hope that you can uh, participate with us and use the, uh, if you're using the Zoom app, uh, click on the Q&A button and uh, text in any of your questions or comments as we go through the program today. And if you're watching through the BibleQuest uh, YouTube channel, Please give your uh, text, text in your questions and comments there. Uh, Stephen, how you doing? Good to see you today. Good to see you too, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And Jeff down in Exton. How you doing, Jeff? Very well. Good, Good afternoon. Good to see you. And uh, Jonathan uh, down in Gettysburg. Hi, Jonathan. Glad you're here with us today, our webcast engineer, among other things. Uh, it's good to be with you guys today. Good to see you today. Um, so actually, obviously, it's going to be very obvious that uh, Scott is not with us today. He's traveling. Hopefully, he'll be with us next time. But uh, I'm going to be uh, introducing um, Matthew chapter 7. Um, I preached a sermon on it a few weeks ago, and I want to present it to the to the team here, to the panelists. And uh, I'm going to read sections of it, and uh, I'm going to ask questions. In fact, I'll be asking questions of not only uh, the three of you guys, but also in the audience. I'd like you to participate with uh, your questions, comments, answers, if we, uh, if you want to give us some answers on these things. Some interesting things that Jesus is saying uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Um, this is the end of the, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Right, Stephen? This is towards the end of the... That's right. This is the, the last chapter. We have divided into chapters, but yeah, this is the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And I'm going to start with something that many people are familiar with. Let me see if I can start this little slide thing here. I'll have the scriptures up on the, on the screen as well. I'm sure all of us have heard one time or another, right? Jesus said, don't judge. People who know nothing about the Bible can quote this passage. They have no idea of the context and they certainly don't understand what it means, but they'll quote this passage and latch onto it as their justification for saying, I do whatever I want, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Yeah, and, and most likely, I think it's fair to say that someone that says it that way hasn't read it or understands the context of what Jesus is saying there. I've always thought it a little bit ironic in that saying don't judge they are, in fact, passing judgment on someone else. Isn't that um, interesting? There's a little, little bit of irony there. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's see what actually Jesus is saying there. Um, <clears throat> verse 1, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And are I you wanting to share your screen, Drew? I'm sorry? Are you wanting to share your screen with us? You mean I'm not sharing the screen? I cannot see your screen. Well, let me stop the slides. And Most people learn to share it about age two or three, Drew. <laughs> oh, okay, hold on a second. Let's get this up here. Of course, if you have a Mac, it may not be so easy. I know it. I know it. You couldn't resist, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, we're trying to let that debate from our pre-show spill over here into the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, tell me if it goes away. All right. It, it, you are sharing your screen now. We can see the hot air balloon screen. And now do you see the screen? There it is. Okay. Yes. There we go. Now we'll read the verse. That's a very nice looking screen. Oh, thank you. 
Jesus says, do not judge, and I highlighted the second part, because this is the part that most people leave out, so that you will not be judged. And then verse 2, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So expand upon that. What was he saying here? My measure? Uh, don't judge? What was he saying? Well, it's helpful to even keep reading. The, the rest of the verses really help to spell out the idea that Jesus is getting at. Uh, I'll start back in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take out, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So verse five makes it clear that Jesus is talking here about hypocritical judgment. People who want to hold everyone else to a very high standard, but let themselves off the hook. Yeah. Uh, get speck out of everybody's eye while, meanwhile, there's a log protruding out of their own eye. Jesus, I think, intends a little bit of humor and exaggeration here with the speck and the log image. Some hyperbole to make the point. Yeah. And so Jesus is not saying here, don't ever judge anyone for any reason at all. In fact, even in saying this, Jesus is judging hypocrites. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly. And notice that in the second part of verse 5, he wants people to be able to see clearly so that they can help their brother get the speck out of their eye. But what Jesus is emphasizing here is there's something you need to do first. You got to look at yourself and get the log out first. And that requires discernment in and of itself, judgment. Yeah, and the, and the hypocrisy theme here is so strong. I noticed your translation says the New American Standard that you have on screen there, Drew, it says standard of measure. Um, I'm used to translations, and, and, and of course, in the Greek text itself, it just says measure. But when you measure something, you evaluate it by a standard. And what Jesus is saying with by what measure you measure others, it's, you're going to be measured. In other words, you've got to use the same standard for yourself as you use for others. And so if you have this hypercritical standard by which you judge others, that's the standard that's going to be applied to you. But you cannot be the sort of hypocrite who has a hypocritical standard for others, but you have a very lax standard for yourself. And that's what you see if a guy has a log sticking out of his eye and he's unconcerned about that, but he's going around uh, criticizing other people for having a little bitty speck in their eye. Well, obviously, he's got a double standard there, and that's hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is condemning here. Right. And so the judge not is, is don't be a hypocritical judge. Don't be a strict judge of other people because you're then going to be strictly judged. God sees what you're doing and will judge you accordingly. Now, and, go ahead, Drew. Well, I was going to take us to the next verse, but go ahead. Well, I was just going to say... Uh, so how strict should we be? And um, the, the key is let God's word be the standard and then apply it equally to myself and to others. Um, I, I want to be as strict as the word of God is, uh, but I don't want to be more strict than the word of God. And that was, that was typical, certainly among the Pharisees of Jesus' day, to hold people accountable for their own traditions 
going beyond the word of God and condemning people for violating their traditions, even if they hadn't violated the word of God. Yeah, and, and it is, this is a tough teaching to apply. We realize what it doesn't mean, but the world often quotes it to mean. But where are faults easiest to see? In others. They're easiest to see <laughs> in other people. Yeah. And many times even the own faults. Sometimes it's easiest to see our own faults in other people. Um, and it's harder to see them in ourselves. So Jesus is giving a very challenging, very helpful teaching. That's Look at yourself first. Good practical point there, the fact that we, we do so naturally see it in others before we see it in ourselves. Now, and he's saying, do the opposite. Do the opposite. Yeah, and, and as I'm listening to you explain this, uh, the whole math chapter, there's a, there's a lot of flow that goes on in, in chapter 7 of, Ma- of Matthew chapter 7. Um, through the different subjects. But I tell you, the very next verse is hard for me to see a connection. It just seems to pop out. But as I'm listening to what you're talking about in, in judging other people, boy, this one even now becomes, I thought I was starting to see some connections, but I don't know. Now you're talking about judging other people. Look what he says. He talks about dogs and pigs. Yeah. What? <laughs> you can't. what? Unless he's talking about, unless he's talking about four-legged animals, uh, you kind of have to make a judgment to be able to apply verse six. Uh, you know, if he's saying if he's talking about people here, which clearly he is, and, and referring to some as dogs and pigs, you are having to decide. Well, that guy's a dog, yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of a judgment. And, and so there's where it makes it a little harder for the connection. But let's read it. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Where's the whether there's a connection there or not? What's he saying here, Jeff? Well, let's 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 start with. I mean, is it reasonable to think he's talking about people? Does the Bible refer to people as dogs ever? And in a couple of passages are going to come to mind. I'll turn to uh, Revelation chapter uh, twenty-one. And, and I think I'm turning to the right passage, and, and you know, uh, I'm not. And right now I can't get it in my head which one it is, so maybe somebody else can come up with that. Um, but the other passage that comes to mind is Philippians, the third chapter, and uh, verse 1. And uh, I don't know, Stephen, do you have that one open? Uh, no, I've got a second one open, but I can turn over there real quick. Um, Philippians chapter 3 and... Verse 2, it says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And yeah. Go on in this context to talk about the Judaizers uh, who, who are wanting to um, convert Gentiles to become Jews and require that uh, to be a Christian. So that's and clearly a negative term that he's using. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the next thing they're referred to as evildoers, but clearly it's people. What I think was that notable. second verse, though? Was there a second verse re- regarding dogs that you were thinking about? Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Um, at the end of this section, when Peter is talking about the false teachers who once knew the way of righteousness and now have turned away from it, fallen away, um, he says in Second Peter 2, 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. So you've got dogs and pigs in the same context here, referring to people 
who have trampled what they once valued underfoot um, and turned back to their own sinful ways. Okay, so that, certainly the New Testament uses this about people. Okay, so that's that's the dogs and the pigs referring to people. What is the pearls then? What is it? Don't throw your pearls before the swine. I think the idea, um, he's talking to a Jewish audience and uh, the giving what is holy to the dogs, um, I think ultimately refers to the teachings of the Lord. Um, but I wonder if they would have thought about, um, you know, meat that had been made holy for sacrifice or things like that, and then just throwing it out here in the street. And of course, a dog or a pig is not going to recognize that, that, oh, that's something valuable. They're just going to eat it up. <laughs> they don't care. Uh, they can't recognize the value in what they're eating. It doesn't so feel good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're saying the value then is the word of God. It's, it's what he's referring to. I, I think so. In the context of the teaching of Jesus uh, here, um, he, he's not talking about actually feeding dogs or feeding pigs. Um, but he also talks about um, the danger is lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Um, it's something that you can give to someone else that would make them mad. And then they come after you. Certainly God's word has that effect at times. So he's not, he's not telling us to stop giving God's word or preaching to people. Is he? No. no. I would say also, we don't want to, prejudge people and put them in the category of dogs or pigs in our own mind and, and become guilty of the first part of Matthew chapter seven. Um, realize, not realizing that, you know, we're guilty of sin ourselves and yet we can be saved by the blood of Christ. And here's somebody I look at and I say, he's guilty of sin. He's a dog. Well, wait a minute. That's where, where that's the same state I was in and I could be saved. He can be saved. But when somebody demonstrates himself to be a dog or a pig, he's unreceptive to God's word. Here's the other passage that I was thinking of. It's Revelation chapter 22. And I'll start in verse 14. Blessed are they that wash their robes that they may have the right to come to the tree of life and may enter in by the gates into the city. So this is a picture of the, the spiritual city of God, the heavenly city. Verse 15, without outside of, of this are the dogs and the sorcerers and the fornicators and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone that loves and makes a lie. When you look at this list of people that, that are mentioned along with dogs and you see such things as fornicators and idolaters, you see something similar to the passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where there are all kinds of immoral behaviors, people guilty of immoral behaviors mentioned, and yet Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, and so they could stand right in the eyes of God, not be counted as dogs. But if you persist, if somebody just says, this is the way I want to live, I want to be a fornicator, I want to be a murderer, I want to be an idolater, and he rejects the word of God, don't, then, then don't waste your time trying to beat over the head with the Bible and insist that he believe it. He doesn't want to believe it. Shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next person. That's exactly what I was about to point to in Matt 10, verse 14. I think this principle is demonstrated when Jesus tells his apostles whom he's sending out, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And so if they don't listen, Jesus didn't spend the three years of his ministry chasing after people. It's like, oh, please listen, please, I'll say something different. You know, he didn't compromise. 
he, and he gave people second chances. It wasn't a one and done kind of a thing, but he didn't spend his time chasing people who clearly were not interested. And he instructed his disciples to do the same. Let me then use that as a segue. People are interested in, in talking about it uh, from the point of view that we're talking about the word of God. That's the pearls and holy. Let me get to verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. He doesn't skip a beat here. He doesn't, doesn't even take a breath. He goes right from talking about dogs and pigs and then all of a sudden he says to you ask it appears he's saying that we will be able to find answers to questions that we need answers to right he just finished first. the last chapter chapter six by saying uh, seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you and, and I don't think he's he's saying here, uh, if you want a Mercedes, oh, Lord, won't you buy me um, how, how to jam shop? Thing. Um, so I don't think he's saying just if you want a Mercedes, just ask the Lord, and he'll give it to you. You know, there's there've been religious movements founded on the idea, name it and claim it, I think, was the little phrase for, for such a movement. Luke's uh, got a passage where Jesus is teaching something along these same lines. I don't know if it's the same occasion. Uh, sometimes uh, Jesus may have said the same thing in different in different settings, and Luke may describe it in one setting and Matthew in another. But Luke has this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 9. Jesus says, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Speak, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. And of which of you that is a father, shall his son ask a loaf and he give him a stone or a fish and he for a fish give him a serpent. In other words, you just human beings, as flawed as you are, when your son asks you for something like food, you give him food. You don't give him something that's going to hurt him. Verse 12, or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, that's the kind of thing that we're assured here. If you ask, it will be given. If you seek, you'll find it. If somebody wants to know the truth, uh, he can find it. God will make it available. You took away my storm there because I was going to ask you. He doesn't mention in uh, 7 and 8, who who is it you're asking? It's, but we know he's he's talking about God. Well, what's interesting, uh, Jeff? In in what was that Luke you were reading? Yeah. The the term there is holy. Uh, the Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Here he doesn't use the Holy Spirit's name. He just says what is good. Isn't yeah. that interesting? That is very interesting. So in this connection, um, you're not going to give your your son a snake. <laughs> If he's, he's asking for things that he needs in this particular context, food. And, and you know, one, one of the things that it, Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see is that they've got to trust God like they would their father. Um, you can come to your father and ask and know that what you need will be given to you. Uh, he's not going to just give you something that's going to hurt you. He's not going to withhold something good from you that you actually need. 
And it's interesting to me, I've heard it put this way before, we've got to trust God's judgment in giving us things. There are certainly times where we pray for things that from our perspective, it sounds good, it looks good. Why wouldn't God answer this prayer in this way? And it doesn't happen that way. Uh, Jesus himself prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And that cup did not pass from him. Uh, But sometimes I've heard it put this way, is sometimes we're asking for, uh, or let me see here, um, Sometimes we're asking for a serpent and God gives us a fish (laughs) and we just don't see it. Yeah. Uh, We don't have the complete perspective, the view that God has. And we think we're asking for a fish, but we're, what we're actually asking for is a serpent. Sometimes we get very specific. Not just God, give me the opportunity to support my family. We say, God, give me this job that has this salary and is this short a commute and has these hours and, you know, da, 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 da. <laughs> but but if, if I put my trust in God and pray that he'll give me an opportunity to make a living to support my family, uh, he may give me something that maybe is not the one I would have chosen, and yet it may prove to be much more beneficial. It may prove to give me opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise. When you're growing up, there's times when you'll ask your father or mother for certain things. And over time you start learning that, you know what, I'm not going to ask them because I know they're not going to give them to me because I know, I know. And I think I can make the analogy that the more I know about my heavenly father, the more I can, I learn about him and know how to trust him. Then I'm going to be knowing the right things to be asking for. And and if it's according to his will, he'll be granting them. But that requires me to know him as a father. Wouldn't you say Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line here. We've got to learn to trust God and we've got to learn to give ourselves uh, up to his will. And then he goes in from there in everything. Therefore treat people the same way you want them to treat you for this is the law and the prophets. Oh, I thought it said the golden rule. Yeah, I was says, gonna say the the is, yeah exactly. <laughs> I've heard so many, but this is the golden rule. But it's the law and the prophets. And of course, when he says this is the law and the prophets, that's a a statement similar to what he says in Matthew chapter uh, 22 when he's asked about the great commandment. He says, the first, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul and all thy heart and all thy mind. And second, like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, For um, the whole, and I can't quote the rest of it, but the whole law and the prophets hangs on these two commandments. Uh, the, the point of it is, when you look at the instructions in the Old Testament, and some people think they're just arbitrary and they're meaningless. No, they were teaching people how to love God and how to love their neighbor. It's verse 40 of Matthew 22. On these two commandments, the whole law hangs and the prophets. But what is it that it's, it's saying here in Matthew 12? Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Yeah, and historically, there are other law codes that have stated this in the negative. Whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do to others. Uh, Jesus here states in the positive. Mm-hmm. And if you think about those two things, which one requires more of us? Yes. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Well, in that case, I can just leave everybody alone. If I want to be left alone, I just, you know. But Jesus here says, whatever you want people to do for you, do unto them. And that's an, a, a positive action for us to do something. And, and also I would add, and not expecting anything in return for it. 
Well, that's right. That's right. You know, uh, God's love is to provide the sacrifice of Jesus uh, without having waited to see, all right, are you going to do something for me? He made the sacrifice available. Romans 5, 8, God commends his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. And so we, we need to be kind and good to people, not just the ones who've already done something nice for us. Uh, we just need to be kind and good to people. Yeah. Now this next section, there doesn't seem to be a, a connection or a flow through, but he just goes right into saying, enter through the narrow gate where the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it where the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So the gateway into eternal life is narrow. But, but that doesn't mean that it's it's closed. It just means that there's only one way to heaven. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, that's right. Jesus is going to contrast several things here. He's going to talk about the gate. He's going to talk about the way. And he's going to talk about the destination. And all three are contrast to each other. He says, and through the narrow gate, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And that's, of course, a much easier way to go, right? Uh, if, if you've ever walked on a very narrow place, uh, it's more difficult going when the way is narrow or the gate is narrow. And he says, there is a broad way. There is a wide gate, easy for lots of people to go through it, but it leads to destruction. And there are many people who enter for That's the fourth contrast here is the people who go through it. Uh, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, few uh, who can find it. And I find this interesting because we just read up in verse eight. There it is again, verse eight, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds but to him who knocks, it will be open. That doesn't sound like the gate is narrow in verse eight, does it? So how does that work? <clears throat> I missed the question there, Drew. I was on the narrow. I was going to say something about the narrow, but go ahead and restate that. Okay, so after verse 13 and 14, talking about the narrow way to eternal life, but we just read up in verse 8, for everyone who asks receives. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's not narrow, therefore, in verse 8. It's wide open. So what's, what's that about? So verse 8 is people who are choosing to go through the narrow gate. When I choose to ask God for what is good for the Holy Spirit, and I put my trust in him, I'm one of those people who is seeking to go through the narrow gate. Yeah. And it's not that God, uh, you know, if someone's walking the broad way and they're asking God, he's, he's not going to say, oh, here's another way for you. He's going to say, oh, you want to know the way? It's the narrow one over yeah, here. Right. <laughs> uh, if they're asking and seeking, God will show them the narrow way. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean he's going to approve of what they're already doing. And unfortunately, that, that's the easy thing to do is to come to God, come to religion, looking for approval of what I'm already doing. And isn't that the popular view, though, that uh, everyone's walking on, the, on their own path and everyone's going to get to heaven and we're just we'll all believe in the same God. It's just you know, we'll all get there our own way. Isn't that the popular view in Christianity today? It really is. And, and, you know, there are some tough things that when you start to get down to Bible teaching and sometimes you're know, talking with people and I say, here's what the Bible teaches about this. And they're like, but there are so many people who don't teach that, who don't do that. How could possibly all these people, again, God's the one who's going to judge in the end. I'm not here to tell anybody, 
you know, exactly who all is going to be in and out and all of that. But what Jesus says here should get our attention. He says the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. We should not be surprised when the majority is wrong. And just because the majority believes something, even the majority of those who would call themselves Christians, that doesn't make something right. Yeah. I, I think most people have the idea that most people are going to heaven, only Hitler, Saddam Hussein, uh, the, the guy, uh, Osama bin Laden, they're going to hell, but everybody else is going to heaven. No, as a matter of fact, that's not what this passage says. The word translated narrow here, have you ever heard of somebody who has spinal stenosis? No. Yeah. yeah. You, you have, Drew? Yeah, you've got yeah. A, a narrowing of that passageway. I guess it's the passageway through which the, the spinal cord goes, and it, you, you get a constriction there, and you have various problems and pains, and, and um, there are various narrowings in the body, stenosis. Well, the, the word translated narrow here is stenos. It's the word from which we get stenosis. Interesting. Interesting. Um, on the same topic, Jesus says this same thing. And again, I don't know if it's the same occasion or not, but over in Luke 13, he clarifies this further. Um, Steve, you want to, you have all of that stuff. You're on the screen. Why don't you read that one, Steve? Sure. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And that terminology is, is very similar, if not in fact the same thing that he says further on in Matthew 7. But before he says this, part of it in, in, in uh, Matthew 7, in verse 14, he says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And I find that's interesting that he said that just right after he's saying about the narrow way. Um, I think people have a hard time getting that concept or they don't want to walk the path that Jesus is, is, is telling them to walk because they'd rather... Uh, trust a, a liar or, or they'll listen to a false prophet and, and trust what he's saying and not trust what Jesus is saying. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why people won't find their way to eternal life. Am I putting too much into this or not? So in other words, it's not that they can't get into that door or into that gate. It's just that they prefer to believe something else. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, Whatever you want to believe, you can find a prophet who's teaching it. That's uh, a prophet, I put prophet in quotations there. They're false prophets. Um, any, anything, any direction the culture is going, you're then going to find prophets who come up, and lo and behold, they've just changed their view, and now they're teaching what the culture, the direction the culture is going. Would you look at that? And uh, we see that happening all around us. Well, they must be true prophets because there was a miracle that just occurred. They just change their view 180 degrees. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, so some of the uh, views they take se seem like they need a miracle in the Greek to, to make it uh, actually defensible. Um, but Jesus says, listen, you got to beware of false prophets. Uh, they look innocent, 
but they're not. And uh, he goes on to say, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Oh, before you get to that point, I just want to emphasize what you just said. He's telling us to be aware of false prophets, but anybody who sounds religious, and the, you know, just they're claiming to be religious, even claiming to be a, a Jesus follower, but inside they're really ravenous wolves. They may be motivated by uh, carnal things, money, fame, power, or whatever, and they're going to be enticing people who are also motivated by those things or, or people who are led by their own selfish desires. They want to hear what they're hearing. In fact, in the Old Testament, the prophets, let's say, they were, I can't come think of the verses right now, but the prophets, the false prophets, they would tell the king what he wanted to hear, right? Or they'll tell the yeah. people what eases their conscience or what they want to hear. And that's yeah. the way it is, that the false prophets will entice people like that. And, and there are people who, you know, Stephen, you said a moment ago, if you want to believe something, you'll find a prophet who will say it. There are people who are going to seek out a religious figure who will tell them what they want to hear. Paul talks about people having itching ears, heaping to themselves teachers after their own lusts or desires. I think of the story I think you're thinking of, Drew, in First Kings 22, when Ahab wanted to go to war, and Jehoshaphat kept saying, well, let's consult the Lord. Ahab had a whole bunch of prophets around him, false prophets, telling him, go and you'll have the victory. And uh, Jehoshaphat kept insisting, no, let's get a prophet of the Lord. In other words, not one of these false prophets. Let's get a true prophet. And isn't there anyone left? And Ahab says, what well, is one, Micaiah? But I hate him because he never tells me anything good. He never tells me what I want to hear. He never says anything good, anything good about me. Uh, he wanted yes men around it who would tell him what he wanted to hear and people who are listening to this webcast <clears throat> if, if you're seeking uh, a place where you can hear god's word taught if you're seeking some kind of religious group that you can be a part of a, a place where you can attend a religious service and your uh your means of finding such is to find some place that tells you stuff you like Find some place or some person who will tell you what you already believe. Somebody who will tell you that it's all right for you to do the things you kind of deep in your heart suspect the Bible condemns, but you want to do them. And if that's what you're looking for, you're an Ahab, and you're going to find a false prophet who will tell you what you want to hear, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, because those you, you can tell the religious leaders or, or, or preachers that are preaching those things that, well, they're minimizing the teaching of Christ. They're, they're glorifying themselves and their lifestyles. In fact, they're letting you know it's okay to be the way you are. You don't have to change. Uh, uh, don't let anyone judge you. <laughs> we started earlier in the chapter. But, and this is where you were going, Stephen, to the next section, you really can tell and you can know who these people are and you, you'll see them. You'll know them by their fruits. Uh, grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by your fruits. Okay, Stephen, take it away, because I know trees, and I know fruits, and the fruits that come from trees, but how does this connect? Well, Jesus is talking about the outcome of their life. Uh, we think about fruit. It's like, why do you plant a seed? You want that seed to produce fruit. And Jesus is talking about here, not just about what they say or the front they put up, 
but what is the outcome of their life? Look at their life. Look at what they're producing. What is their fruit? And he makes a point, and this is what a lot of people say. It's like, oh, well, he does bad things, but he's really a good guy. Jesus is saying, they're doing bad things. It's a bad tree. Good fruit doesn't come from bad trees, and bad fruit doesn't come from good trees. And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown in the fire. Well, now we're um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. I was just saying. Now we're starting to get into some more verses where people aren't going to want to hear this. What Jesus is yeah. saying. Now Jesus is building to a finish to the sermon that is really kind of a downer. It's very uh, strong and it's it's negative in its weight. It's meant to drive us to one of two choices. It's, it's, it's interesting to me here how over and over in this last section, it's very, if I can use the word binary, it's either one or the other. It's one or the other. It's the narrow gate or it's the broad gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good tree or it's a bad tree. Mm-hmm. And we'll see some more of those dividing lines. Jesus drives to the end of the sermon saying, you are in one of two groups. And those two groups have an end, have a destination they're headed toward. And look what he says in the very next verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. This is hard for people to accept. Not everyone that talks about heaven or uses the key phrases and the the words, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Jesus, I love Jesus. Not everyone who says that belongs in the kingdom or is part of the kingdom. These are hard for people to, 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 to say. But he even goes on further to explain it. Now, as hard as this, this verse is, these next two are really hard. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many mm-hmm. miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, these are religious people, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and this one's kind of challenging because it looks like not only are they religious people, but they could even be religious people who are doing miraculous things. Yeah. So in in my mind, I I think about examples in Scripture where people were able to do miracles, but they weren't necessarily acting like spiritual people in their hearts and in the other fruits of their life. I think about first Corinthians. Uh, you, you don't come away from first Corinthians saying, wow, what a great church, what a spiritual mature group of people. And yet they had spiritual gifts richly abundantly. Yeah. Uh, they've been blessed with all kinds of gifts, uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy and healings and different things. And so Paul goes into a good bit of detail, chapter 12, 13, 14, of first Corinthians talking about, how they're abusing gifts and using it for selfish purposes. In first Corinthians chapter one, you know, Paul knows where he's going with this letter. He knows he's going to get around to talking about um, their carnality and even their carnality in how they use their spiritual gifts. But at the very outset, he says in, in verse four of chapter one, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all utterance and all knowledge. 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. You start thinking about the confirmation of the word of God by means of the spiritual gifts and the reference to utterance and knowledge here and how that comes back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and then how in these things they were enriched. He's saying you have spiritual gifts richly and abundantly and yet you you then get to chapter uh Two and especially chapter three, in the beginning of chapter three, he just calls them carnal. Hmm. And you think about that, and, and it wasn't all done for the for the Corinthians. But if they hadn't repented, I, I can't help but wonder if this would be the kind of thing that some of them would come before the Lord and say, "Lord, we did all these great spiritual things. We did these miracles in your name." And he'd say, "I, I never knew you. You were carnal people. Um, you you practiced lawlessness." And you can see some of the things they were doing in other parts of 1 Corinthians. And this is a chilling, chilling passage because for all of us, for me, who claim to be Christians, uh, we can deceive ourselves. Uh, We can think that we're on the right track and in fact be hiding worldliness in our hearts. And so Jesus here is just coming out so clearly against hypocrisy and even self-deception. We don't want to get to the end and like these people think that, oh, we're good. We're fine. And then realize, no, we're not. Um, And so Jesus here, he's driving to the heart. He's trying to get us to see ourselves as God sees us. So, Drew, you were talking early on about just the kind of a thread that runs through this. And the way Stephen just put it, just, just there, you kind of see this thread running through here of a superficial religion that is more show than reality. And uh, there's, a, there's a hypocrisy in it. There's a judging others by one standard, myself by a more lenient standard. Um, there is the, the binary choice, as Stephen put it. You need to either go through the narrow gate, which most people aren't going through. you got these hordes of people who are professing religious faith, but they're not choosing the path that is narrow and constricted. And then the reference to the wolves in sheep's clothing, you've got people, yes, they look like religious leaders and maybe even are prophesying and doing miracles or at least professing to do so and maybe actually doing so and yet not doing the Lord's word. And you do see this kind of theme running through here. Yeah, yeah. And, and he ends up in the last part of this talking about, you know, that day. What day is that? Oops, I just went past it, didn't I? What day is that that he's talking about? I think it's the, the end, the judgment, when we all stand before the Lord. Exactly. So we, we may be living in a, in a, in a fantasy saying, uh, oh, I'm not sinning. I don't sin. I'm a good person. But in the last day, it's when he's going to be judging people, all of us, <clears throat> on that, on the, the deeds that we did, the sins we committed. Uh, we've got a few minutes left there, but I wanted to get to a uh, last point here quickly um, because he put, and what you just said, Jeff, leads to this point, and I think he puts it all together. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for yet it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. I'll tell you what they had in common, 
Jeff or, or Stephen, you tell me what's the difference. They had in common that they both built a house and they both were experiencing life's circumstances, things coming at them, storms of life. One house didn't make it. Why? It goes back to the foundation. I think it's also notable that both of these people hear the words of Jesus. And there's lots of people who week after week are going to places where they hear, they hear, they read. But Jesus is saying, you can do all the hearing you want. You can do all the reading you want if you are not doing it. If you're, if you're being a hypocrite and you're saying the right things but not doing the right things, you're going to be like this foolish man. And the last image of the Sermon on the Mount, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Mm. And that's the end of the sermon right there. Right. But uh, Luke does add a few words after it. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. I, mean, I can just see them sitting back with their mouths, their chins to the ground like, after hearing everything he said. They're recognizing his authority not like the authority that the, the, the religious leaders had. And I'll, I'll just, Jeff, do you recall a couple of weeks ago, you had talked about discussing with, the, with a Catholic priest um, yeah. about, you were asking him, you were much younger, right? This was years ago. And you said, how can you justify the title of having the title father when Jesus yeah. talks about that? And this relates to authority. What did he say to you? Uh, he said, "Well, um, you don't you don't understand. We don't have to find it in the Bible for it to be acceptable to us. If it's in our tradition, then that's good enough because our tradition is just as important as the Bible." Isn't that what the Pharisees and scribes were banking on their tradition yeah. as their authority? And here, these people are recognizing Jesus as one having authority, which is way different than what he and saw. And Jesus was demanding, I like your phrase, Stephen, a binary choice here. You make the right choice, and there's judgment, condemnation coming if you don't. And then you think about today's religious leaders who just, who are, who just go with the wind, and you see the contrast between Jesus' authority and the teaching of religious leaders. Absolutely. Well, guys, I think we'll end on that note. Uh, thank you for giving you back the feedback on, on this lesson. I've, I've heard a lot of good things, things I wasn't thinking of when I was preaching it myself. You guys added a lot of good stuff to it, all from the scriptures, because I like the way you do it. You always refer to the scriptures. It's the Bible that gives us the truth. Any other thoughts or comments before we go today? Uh, for those who watch the Wednesday webcast, we will not be having our Wednesday webcast tomorrow. Um, we're, the various ones of us who do it are going to be out of pocket. Okay. So we hope to see everybody next Tuesday. Looking forward to it. Have a great week, everyone.